The Alan Watts iPhone app is now available on the iTunes App Store, featuring the entire Alan Watts podcast series at your fingertips. Visit alanwattsapp.com for more information. I don't think I need to tell you that in a very special and peculiar way, Western man is hung up on sex. (laughs) And the major reason for this is that he has a religious background quite unique among the religions of the world. I'm thinking specifically of Christianity and in a secondary way, Judaism, insofar as Judaism in Europe and the United States is strongly influenced by Christianity. But Christianity is, of all religions in the world, the one uniquely preoccupied with sex. More so than priapism, more so than tantric yoga, more so than any kind of fertility cult which has ever existed on the face of the earth. There has never, never, never been a religion in which sexuality was so important. And there are certain very simple standards by which this can be judged. In popular speech, when you say of a given person that he or she is living in sin, you know very well that there, you do not mean that they are engaged in a business to defraud the public by the sale of uh, badly made bread or uh, anything of that kind. You know that they're not uh, setting up a check forgery business? No. People who are living in sin are people who have an irregular sexual partnership. In the same way when you say something is immoral, Uh, it pretty much means that it's something sexually irregular. I remember when I was a boy in school, we used to have a preacher. He came to us every year, the same man, once a year, and he always talked on the subject of drink, gambling, and immorality. I remember the way he rolled it round his tongue, and it was very clear what immorality was. And also... I might point out that present company accepted the Unitarian Church being somewhat unusual. Most churches in America and in England and in other parts of uh, the Western world are, frankly, sexual regulation societies. (laughs) They occasionally get excited about other moral issues but really not very much. In other words, when you ask, what can people get kicked out of church for? Let's supposing you consider important ministers, bishops, priests, and so on. Uh, They can live in envy, hatred, malice, and all uncharitableness, and be in perfectly good standing. But the moment anything about their sexual life becomes a little unusual, out you go. And that's about the only thing you can go out for. You study, for example, a Roman Catholic manual of moral theology. 
these manuals of moral theology are technical books about sins of all kinds, just exactly what they are, how they're done, how grave they are, for mostly for the advice of confessors. And they're always arranged according to the Ten Commandments. And uh, when they get to the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, the volume expands like this. In fact, it occupies two-thirds of the whole book, all the details. So we have, in a very special way, got sex on the brain, which isn't exactly the right place for it. <laughs> now, this needs going into because it is not as simple as it looks. There are really two roots of the whole problem. One of them is the problem of why sexual pleasure of all pleasures, as a kind of really supreme pleasure, is singled out for religious people to be particularly afraid of. This is not only true in Christianity. I say Christianity emphasizes it in a certain way. But in uh, Asian religions also, especially in India, there is a prevailing view that if you want to attain real heights of spirituality, the one thing you must give up is sexuality. In the ordinary sense of uh, genital sexual relationships with man or woman, as the case may be. And this reflects in part, you see, an attitude to the physical world. Because it is, after all, through sexuality that we have, along with eating, our most fundamental relationship to materiality, to nature, to the physical universe. And it is the point at which we can become most attached to the body, to the physical organism, to material life. That's one reason why it's problematic. The other reason why it's problematic is more subtle. And that is that sexuality is something which you cannot get rid of. Do what you may. Life is sexual in the sense, for example, that you are either male or female. There are various other gradations. Uh, but basically they are forms of maleness and femaleness and also that every one of you is the result of sexual intercourse and this feature of life uh, can be looked at in one of two ways you can say on the one hand that all man's higher ideals his spirituality and so forth is simply repressed sexuality or on the other hand you can say that human sexuality is a manifestation, a particular form or expression of what is spiritual, metaphysical, divine, or whatever you want to call it. I hold to the latter view. I don't think that religion is repressed sexuality. I think, however, that sexuality is just one of the many forms in which uh, whatever all this is expresses itself. But you see, if this thing is something you cannot get rid of, 
And if you realize that indeed a way of life in which sexuality is in some way put down or repressed is nonetheless an expression of sexuality, then we come to a view of a religion in which sex is a very special taboo, which is rather unusual. It's normally said, you see, yes, the Christianity is a religion in which sex is taboo. And this is simply no getting around it. I know up-to-date ministers today are, think sex is all right. It's perfectly okay if you're married and you've got a mature relationship with a woman. Uh, it's all right. And they kind of damn it with faint praise. But if you read anything of Christian writings prior, shall we say, to 1850, to set a date rather arbitrarily, you will find that it's not all right. Not at all. It's tolerated between married couples and strictly for the procreation of children. But on the whole, to do without it is best. As St. Paul put it, it's better to marry than to burn. To burn with the fire of lust and ultimately to burn in hell. But always, consistently, there is simply no getting away from it. In all the writings of the Church Fathers, from St. Paul himself right through to St. Ignatius Loyola or any of the great relatively modern uh, leaders of Catholic spirituality, or you can look at Calvin, you can look at uh, great Protestants, John Knox. On the whole, sex is sin and sex is dirt. And you can say very simply that this is all bad and something very wrong, but I want to point out that there is another side to all this. There is no way of making a hedge grow like pruning it. There is no way of making sex interesting like repressing it. And as a result of all these centuries of sexual repression and associating it with dirt, the West has developed a peculiar form of eroticism. But that is a an aspect of this whole problem, which I don't think is really very profitable to explore. I just want to mention it in passing, that the whole attitude of anti-sexuality in the Christian tradition is not as anti as it looks. It is simply a method of making sex prurient and in a, exciting in a kind of dirty way. And I suppose it's to be recommended for people who are not feeling very frisky and uh, need to be pepped up. <laughs> the other side of the problem is much more interesting. That is to say, uh, the first thing I mentioned, why it is that there has been a problem for human beings about pleasure. And we'll take sexual activity as a supreme pleasure. 
as a supreme involvement of oneself with the body and with the physical world. Why should there be a problem here? Well, the point is simply, isn't it, that the physical world is transient. It's impermanent. It falls apart. And bodies that were once strong, smooth and lovely in youth begin to wither and become corrupt and turn at last into skeletons. And if you cling on to one of those and it suddenly turns into a skeleton in your hand, as it will if you speed up your sense of time a little, you feel cheated. And there has been for centuries a lament about this, that life is so short that all the beauties of this world fall apart. And therefore, if you are wise, you don't set your heart on mortal beauty, but you set on heart your heart on spiritual values that are imperishable. Even that supposed tippler and rake, Omar Khayyam, says that the worldly hope men set their hearts upon turns ashes or it prospers, and anon like snow upon the desert's dusty face, lighting a little hour or two is gone. And so don't bet on that horse. And read any kind of spiritual literature you want to. Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, Taoist. All of them seem to emphasize the importance of detachment from the body, from the physical world. So that you won't be engulfed in the stream of impermanence. The idea being, you see, that to the degree that you identify yourself with the body and with the pleasures of the body, to that degree you are simply going to be something that is sucked away in the course of transiency. So therefore hold yourself aloof. As in, for example, the advice of many Hindus in the practice of yoga, you are advised look upon all sensory experiences as something out there. You've been listening to Alan Watts from the Spoken Word Library of the Electronic University. For copies of this and other Alan Watts programs, please go to alanwatts.com on the World Wide Web or call us toll-free at 1-800-W-O-WATTS. That's A-L-A-N-W-A-T-T-S dot com or 1-800-W-O-W-A-T-T-S. The Watts website features free audio downloads, program lists, and information on Watts' life and works. Once again, that's alanwatts.com or 1-800-W-O-WATTS.